0: This is Alex, and this is James, and you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. With you again, because a vision
1: soft- and we're back, folks. A somber occasion after Everton fall 3-1 to Bournemouth. The only solace that I really have to take from that game is that on our previous show, I predicted the correct scoreline. Unfortunately, it was in the opposite direction on our last show. And really kind of just, a, <laughs> I don't know, it, I'm kind of at a loss for words because we, after having you know we're not accustomed to Everton coming from behind to win, and when we equalized right on the stroke at halftime, I really thought the game was poised for us to go on and, and do something the second half. But throw it over to Alex. Alex, um, what are your initial thoughts post match?
0: Well, I'm annoyed. I I call me naive. I legitimately didn't see that result coming. To be honest, I don't think most of us did, even if it makes sense. I thought Everton in general played okay. Not gonna say they played good or bad, but they were okay. Uh, I think it was just. A couple of lapses in concentration, which I mean, we've said that for two years straight. So maybe at that point, <laughs> maybe that means it's not just lapses in concentration. But nonetheless, uh, I just that's that's all I got. I mean, I I don't I don't know where we go from here. I mean, we saw all the tweets and posts. Oh, if we win today, you go joint second or third. And as we always know, when that's posted, it does not come to fruition. And lo and behold, we are now sitting in 11th place towards the end of the match week with seven points in total.
1: Yeah, let's rock it back a little bit because I think the lineup selection initially when it came out at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time gave a lot of people pause. A lot of people really shocked, including I think both of us, that Moise Keane was not in the, didn't retain his space in the lineup and that Calvert-Lewin replaced him. And then, of course, the surprise news that Andre Gomez had been withdrawn due to a rib injury The extent of that is undisclosed at this time, but I guess as far as the immediate substitution, I guess Schneiderlin makes sense off the bat, but I I can't really make sense of the Moise Keane thing. Marco Silva in his pre-match interview said that it was because Calvert-Lewin had stayed at Finch Farm over the international break while Moise Keane, of course, was away on duty with the Italy U21s. But just from that, when you see the lineup on paper, doesn't give you a ton of confidence Even those with those two changes, and I thought, and I actually didn't think that Calvert Lewin played that badly. Obviously, he scores with his head, which is probably the only time he's ever really going to score. Looks like he's going to score. Had a couple other maybe half chances that he wasn't able to to do what perhaps an elite striker would be able to do and make those or turn those into goals. But it's just so frustrating, and I think we're both at a loss for words because. I don't think that we really played that badly. Like we're Charlison, we created some decent chances. There were stretches of the game where you looked like we were in control. But then it's those, like you said, lapses that just immediately were just cut completely wide open and we concede with relative ease. And then the set piece thing kind of rears its ugly head again. So all of those things kind of a frustrating, make for a frustrating podcast to record and a frustrating Sunday morning or afternoon if you're an Everton fan.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was confused at the lineup. Um- to your point about Dominic Calvert-Lewin starting over Moyes Keane, my perception of that based on based on play and I admittedly have not watched Bournemouth uh, this season until now, but what I'm thinking is he started Dominic Calvert-Lewin because if you watched both of both of Bournemouth Bournemouth's strikers pressed all the way up the entire match and so we saw Pickford playing the ball out hoofing the ball out long most of the time. Moyes Keen is not going to win that battle in the air, and he's not going to be able to hold it up um, like Dominic Calvert-Lewin would be, able, would be able to. And so, in my opinion, I think he played Dominic Calvert-Lewin because it's not like Moise Keen is in crazy form or anything like that. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin offers, you know, the the essentially pressure off the back, and he's able to at least win some balls in the air and transition play that way. Um, that would be my guess. As far as Schneiderlin's concerned... I think it makes sense. Schneiderlin has done well this season. Well, for the most part, barring his uh, red card, when he's played. But if Andre Gomez would have started, then you would think a more like-for-like like replacement would have been Tom Davies, who still can't even get a whiff of, of what it's like to play on the pitch in the nineteen twenty season. Nonetheless, I thought Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Schneiderlin both did okay, to be honest. I, I can't fault them, and I, and I can't say with gumption that Moyes-Keene or Tom Davies would have done better. So... With that, I think that the team selection was okay, And again, it kind of comes down to Marco Silva does, in fact, know his squad of players and tactics better than better than we do. So sometimes it takes that bit of realization to kind of bring
1: us back in a little bit, you know. And I'm curious what you think about this, because I actually thought we maybe were a little bit caught off guard by the rate at which Bournemouth were willing to press. And we talked about it with Ryan Midweek about how Bournemouth don't really press too much; they're pretty content to sit back and counterattack. And I thought that I was I was really surprised with the ferocity with which they they pressed our back line. And I think early on there were some really um, questionable moments or scary scary moments when we were trying to play it out of the back, and we gave the ball away cheaply. Jordan Pickford a couple times tried to get a little cute playing it short and gave away a, a poor pass that led to a counterattack. And you know. Credit to Eddie Howe for the way that he set up tactically because I don't think that we were really expecting it. And I think it resulted in throwing us off our rhythm for for a decent amount of the first half. But at the same time, when you look at the end of the first half, I came away with the the impression that we were in full control after Calvert-Lewin equalized. It seemed like we were really, really well-situated to, to have a solid second-half performance, and it just did not materialize. It's like we shut off. And in the second half, Delph, I think, really regressed a lot. He was really positive um, facilitating ball movement in the first half, but he got a little bit sloppy in possession and off of the ball, um, some cheap fouls. And and I think that kind of just that stymied our midfield a lot when we rely so much. I was actually surprised with with how much width we found on the flanks as well. So I'm um, curious what you think about the, how the Miss tactics kind of set everything up for failure for us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that they they did a good job of clogging the midfield Obviously, as you said, we couldn't really play it out of the back. To Delph and Schneiderlin's credit, they did find um, some good passes on numerous occasions out to the flank, specifically to our fullbacks, and that allowed us to kind of break a lot of pressure and and gave us the upper hand in in multiple situations. But I, I do agree that Delph really did regress after the first 20, 25 minutes. I mean, he looked so good. You know, the NBC commentators were talking about how Everything positive is going through Fabian Delph. He gets the yellow card, and that wasn't even his first questionable uh, challenge, to be fair. And then immediately you saw him just start screaming at his teammates, right? And that told me, I mean, it's a good thing, right? We need leaders on the pitch. We need people uh, kind of kind of trying to push them to kick it into gear. And, and that obviously, that told me two things. That told me one, that he realizes and he feels it on the pitch at an away match, only 20 minutes in, that they have not gotten up to speed yet which is which is what we've all known but it's it's just kind of um it just kind of really does show you when you see that but also it tells me that he got frustrated and when you commit a foul a really stupid foul you get a yellow card and then you start screaming at your teammates that tells you that he wasn't necessarily in the right mindset moving forward because yes i think i think part of it was out of frustration at himself honestly and i think that the rest of his performance showed that i'm not trying to be too hard on Fabian Delf because i think he's a really good Addition to the squad, I would I feel confident each time he takes the pitch in a central role. Um, but I think that it really comes down to our midfield just not being solid enough, and and it really at the end of the day also comes down to once again our set piece defending or lack of. Um, unfortunately, Michael Keane and Yuri Mina were just not turned on today, and and that's highlighted by the third goal in which they just kind of allowed
1: Callum Wilson to peel off and and score the third. Yeah, and actually, I thought maybe one of the brighter spots of the match was Yuri Mina. Despite like a couple lapses, I thought for the most part, um, you know, just as a, a base litmus test, I think he's he continues to show that he is an adequate replacement for Kurt Zuma. Um, it, it's hard to pick out, you know, too many individual errors because I think this just comes down to a collective mindset thing. Um, I, I thought that. While we were able to find a lot of success on the flanks, which I kind of expected Bournemouth to try to shut down, but I guess they, they made their statement when they came out in like a 4-4-2 formation. But both Coleman and Dean had had space on the flanks to get forward. But unfortunately, what that resulted in was what Bournemouth does best, in, which is counterattack. And there were so many times when we would give the ball away cheaply and then be ex- ex- very, very exposed at the back. And Bournemouth just kind of feasted on that. And as the game went on, it, it got a little bit worse. And then it, it just, those, I don't know what it is. I think just the momentary lapses in judgment and, and leaving ourselves way too exposed. And also, one of the things that's been a trend under Marco Silva is that when we give away a foul, we're then, you know, jogging back, taking our time. And teams have learned that we're very exploitable when that happens. And there were several times when we were caught out by Bournemouth taking a quick free kick, a quick set piece, a quick corner. And uh, then we're scampering back, we're behind the run of play and, and we've got our center backs on their heels. So a lot to work on, but I don't think we really learned anything new necessarily from this result. It's just kind of a manifestation of all the bad things we already know about the team came to a head today and we got the result that ultimately I think we deserved.
0: Yeah, I think the overall
1: result was
0: was deserved, unfortunately. But it's just confusing because we've signed new players, a handful of them or a couple of them started today, right? Alex Iwobi, along with Fabian Delph. And so you think we keep switching out players every window and we have new players starting or subbing on. And yet for some reason, we still just cannot get past this horrible mindset, this horrible away form. And if you even want to go further and say horrible away form at Vitality Stadium, because that is very true. Interestingly enough, as a a quick side note, looking at the Premier League app on stats, head to head, actually, Bournemouth and Everton, we have never beaten either each other away. So Bournemouth has never beaten us at home, and we have never beaten them at home, which is interesting, actually, to me, because Obviously, we, we we knew seeing all the stats and, and the tweets and the posts and the commentators said it that we haven't beaten Bournemouth away, but that's actually true for Bournemouth as well. Um, so it's just, it's frustrating because that was the moment in which, as cringeworthy as it is, we could have won the match, moved up into the top four. And, and yes, everyone can say, okay, the top four after five, six matches uh, is not important. And that's true. But in my opinion, if we do that and we were to have sat in tied second or third, whatever it was going to be, then I feel like that would have given the players a real boost saying, wait a second, you know, we thought that we were aiming for fifth or sixth, but look at this. Like we're here. Maybe we really can do it because whether it's the first five games or the other 30 games, it's the same. You can only beat who's in front of you. But nonetheless, I think it was a really good opportunity to let slip. I think it's classic. It almost feels like, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but every time we go on an international break, we come back and it's just a trash performance. And I can't crack it as to why, but it it legitimately feels like that every time. And I just always have a terrible feeling about it. And yet I'm sitting here for two weeks waiting to watch them play again.
1: Yeah, and it's just so disheartening after we did wait two weeks to see this team come back after such a positive result against Wolves only for, I guess, the away we still have that away monkey on our back, so to speak, and this was a golden opportunity, like you said, to to assert ourselves in the league, get ourselves in a good league position, and now we're looking more upwards than we are instead of downwards. And I just the this was such a perfect opportunity, like we talked about midweek with Bournemouth struggling with a lot of injuries and us coming off that positive result, trending the right direction, to then come in and 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 just throw up just an unacceptable overall performance it doesn't this was a really good chance to build momentum establish a precedent for our away performances and instead we just kind of regress to classic Everton which we said you said it earlier Alex unexpected in a way but at the same time it happens and it's like how did we not expect this how did I predict us winning 3-1 when it it's just it's never it's never our identity as a team we're not that team and we're not a team that's able to come from behind I saw on the broadcast that we've picked up four points from losing positions since the beginning of last year. That's completely unacceptable. But it's not just I don't think the blame can fall so solely on Marco Silva because it's a trend that's gone back years prior to his reign. And like you said, we're bringing in new players all the time. So I just don't understand what it is, this ridiculous notion that we can't come back, especially, you know, normally if we're down one nil, we leave it very late and we're trailing most of the game. And then at that point, there's very little hope. But when you equalize right before half, it's effectively 0-0. And I thought we were the better team for a lot of the first half. And then just completely let it slip. No continuation of of what we were able to do in the first half successfully. Um, Not a lot of good offensive play. Alex Awobi, I thought, faded a lot. Um, The end product for him, he got himself in some really good positions and was unable to execute. Gilfie Sigurdsson, again, as the game wore on, he became less and less visible. I thought he had some some really poor passes, but in the first half early on looked really good on the ball and connecting play. So it's really hard to diagnose something like this because I guess we, we dominated possession 60, 40, but all the other stats are relatively even. And I think we really struggled at the back with, with, I think Wilson and King on the flank really exposed Coleman in a lot of situations. And I know that's a lot to unpack for you, but there's just a lot going through my head right now. And I'm still kind of just bewildered over.
0: I have to agree, agree with you and, and, at this point it is what it is like I part of me wants to say it's not the end of the world um you know three goals essentially offset pieces the first two were um and then the third was I think a couple seconds prior to the actual run of play in which um Callum Wilson was slipped in I, I'm pretty sure it was off of a throw in right and and so you had both the center backs pinched in so kind of another like dead ball set piece type situation and that's not that's not any sort of suitable excuse. However, it's it's frustrating to say the least. But what I'd like to do to wrap it up, James, is let's try to highlight some positives. Okay. For me, the biggest positive, the biggest takeaway from this match is Dominic Calvert Lewin finally got on the score sheet. Okay. It was a big moment for him because, as you said, it was right before the stroke of halftime. It was a it was a solid header. We love seeing our younger players, Richarlison and Dominic Calvert Lewin linking up for a goal. And I thought it was a really good high point. And, and if anyone were to score it, I would have preferred it to be Dom because he needs that. And Marco Silva, you know, obviously made a huge call to start him over uh, Moise Keane. And I think it paid off.
1: Yeah, I would say that that's probably, I mean, the goal being the biggest positive takeaway is is kind of, I guess the most obvious thing, but it's also, I think, a, a really good point on your part where Dominic Calvert-Lewin, as soon as he's on the team sheet instead of Keane, he's immediately... Under fire on social media, people crying out that he's just not good enough. He's unproven. And while, I mean, he's still only 22 years old, I think we kind of lose perspective of that a lot because he's played a lot of games, but it was a really, really good header. And prior to that, he didn't have a lot of great chances. There was, I thought that uh, Ramsdale for Bournemouth actually played extremely well. There was the one where Dom was through, and people will say he needs to score that chance, but Ramsdale does a really good job of coming off his line and really mitigating any sort of chance Calvert-Lewin had. So I think that, you know, I'd, I, clearly there's questions about Keane and his adaptation to the league. We were kind of, you were though actually the only one in the midweek show who predicted that, you know, another striker besides Keane might start. Both Ryan and myself were fully on board with moving forward with Keane, But we did see a lot of what Calvert-Lewin can offer today with his holdup play, with his pace and his relentless work rate in the press, which I think is probably his biggest asset for us. And while I guess defense probably isn't your biggest concern with playing a striker, he did both today, right? He worked really hard and he ended up getting his goal. And I hope that that just kick, helps him kick on this season for um, you know providing competition for Moise Keen And we might have – hopefully that brings out the best in both players. My other positive – I guess, would be that we did see Gilfie Sigurdsson subbed off. Um, that's not the positive itself. But what I did like was that we did see Alex Iwobi move to the number 10 position. Um, and that is something that I think a lot of fans would like to see more of. So that's a bit encouraging as we go forward. Perhaps that gives Sigurdsson that extra motivation to improve his performances if he knows that in certain situations, Marco Silva may be inclined to Either drop him entirely if he feels Alex Awobe is a better fit. But um, I think for a long time, Gilfie Sigurdsson has had the been one of the first names on the team sheet and had his spot relatively uncontested. So I hope to see um, us just it's just good to have competition all over the place. And I think that's one area where, um, again, you want competition to bring out the best in both players. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that dynamic continues to develop.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. and And again, I've said it multiple times this season so far. I was still surprised that Bernard even lost his starting spot when Alex Iwobi came in on the left after uh after the midweek match against Lincoln City. I mean, he did well in that match and he ended up scoring in the subsequent match in which I said he I was surprised he came in. However, my point is that if Sigerson really is so far out of form and he's not performing, we know from from Mike's perspective from mostly soccer podcast from as an Arsenal fan that Alex Iwobi actually prefers to play at the 10. That's where he's most comfortable. Um, and you can kind of see that because when he plays on the left, he essentially just cuts in most of the time. And so with that, that allows Bernard to play on the left-hand side. And, and again, I, I still think that he was in the first couple of matches, the first handful of matches, the most, the brightest player for Everton in attack. So I think it was an ideal situation up front towards the end when we came on with the double substitution. And I think it's going to be a positive again. I keep saying it for me. This season I don't even think I'm going to play favorites in my in my predictions for lineups or my preferences for lineups. In my opinion, if you're if you're aiming for the top 6, you play whoever is in the in form at the time. And so with that, I'm not sure how my next team prediction is going to go, but I think that Dominic Calvert-Lewin uh might have just made a statement for himself to start the next match up top and I think that uh I think that we could see some switch up between the attacking midfield position, the left-hand side, um, maybe even the right-hand side, depending
1: on if he shifts Richarlison. I don't know. Yeah, and one last point is that I, it was interesting to see that Alex Awobi and Richarlison were pretty fluid as far as which wing they were on. There there was a actually fairly quickly into the game, we saw a complete switch where Richarlison came over on to the left and Awobi went over to the right. So again, the fluidity with that front four is key. I think Sigurdsson is the the odd man out. I think if you move, obviously, Bernard to the left and then Iwobi into the middle, that allows for a lot more interchange, but yeah, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting to see what we do at the striker position moving forward. We have Sheffield United uh, next Saturday, and we will be with you guys midweek for a preview of that, as well as covering most other Everton news, any tidbits we get. Hopefully, we'll hear positive news about Andre Gomez, um, but... Until next time, Alex, you have any last words? Up the toffees. Up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton News. And we'll see you guys next time.